Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Overtime, which is our weekly podcast where we get to go a little bit deeper dive into the weekend message. We're so glad that you're joining us. I'm Ben. I'm Josh. That's Josh. And yeah, we are going to be jumping into our content. We've got a couple different questions. Uh, we want to encourage you, if you are watching this live, you can jump into any one of our four different platforms. Uh, that's our website, that's uh, Facebook, that's Twitch, and YouTube. And you can actually ask your questions live. So I'll be kind of monitoring that and checking that out. So if you have questions live, you want to do that, great. If you're joining this via podcast later, you're just listening to this, thanks so much. You can always submit your questions by email beforehand or after overtime at clcfan.com. Family.church, or you can even text us, 610-869-2140. So we're pretty excited to jump into it. Thanks to everybody that's joining us. I see Mags is on there, Tom and Marilyn. Uh, Marilyn? Mar Marilyn? I'm not sure how I say that, so sorry there, Tom and company. Um, so please let me know. We're glad that you're joining us here. Um, one of the things that we always try and do is give you kind of a brief update of what is happening in the life of the church. Just want to remind all of our listeners, all of our viewers, that if you are interested in being part of our Summer of Wow, that is actually the one of the last few events. I think next Wednesday is the official end. But this week, there is a water decathlon that is going to be taking place on Wednesday night. It goes from 6.30 till 7.45. There's, I guess, 10 different games that you're going to compete. That's what I think, decathlon. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. So, oh, yeah. Okay. So basically what happens is I think you get make a team between four to six people or so, and then you go through these, you get points, and the goal is obviously to get the highest score. To win. In to church, win. the goal is always to win. <laughs> so And you win by loving Jesus and him loving you. Um, but I've heard that there may even be a fire truck or something showing up. So I don't know very many details of that, but that's the kind of the word on the street that I heard. I think it should be... You know, those crowded New London streets. <laughs> so, anyway, that's that's the word on the street. Yeah, so thanks for joining us. Um, at this point, I'm going to, I guess, turn it over to you, Josh. Do you want to give us a, re a recap of what we talked about? Oh, yeah. So, week eight of the Better series, which is each and every week when life hands you choices, you get to choose better. And uh, this week, we got to choose fearing Jesus over fearing man. And um, it's interesting because... I mean, at first glance, I go, of course, of course, we would we would have reverence and fear of God and not have reverence and fear of man. And yet so much of my life, your life, our lives are kind of operated in this uh, reactive response uh, to uh, what people think. And Jesus offers some really interesting uh, thoughts and a very, very, very logical argument to his disciples. He pulls them in, all the crowds around them, and he says, hey, 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 don't fear what can destroy your body. And it's like, well, that's probably worth fearing. <laughs> Instead, fear of the fear the one who can make a decision about where your soul inside your body spends eternity. And so it's real clear Jesus is inviting these guys in to go, what I want you to do is I want you to stay focused on me, stay focused on uh, me being king, me being Lord, and following me, not listening to the outer noise. And so this week we got to make that decision of do we want Jesus to be Lord of our life, really? And if so, what does it look like to follow him fully? Do we want him to be the Lord of our life, really? And if so, what does it mean to follow him fully? And he even makes some really clear statements of, hey, if you acknowledge me before man, I'll acknowledge you before the, in this passage that 
the, the angel armies, but I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. And if you deny me, then I'll deny you. And so there's something that we get to uh, really, really work through of what does it look like to follow him, trust him fully, call him Lord, and walk in this reverent fear of the God of the universe as opposed to walking with the anxiety that comes from pleasing men. So at first glance, this feels really overwhelming to think about this, you know, mighty God. But in many ways, I hope this message should be freeing to allow us to focus on the things that really do matter and not worry about the things that don't. So today we'll try to help you discern whether or not you're actually operating in fear of man or operating in fear of God. And so that's what the passage is about. Thanks for joining us. I think this will be uh, formative for you and will help you even make those better choices as a result. So. Yeah. Thank you, Mary Lynn. She yes. says pronounced Mary Lynn, except there's two ends. Um, and Tom also, thank you, said he's getting a lot out of your teachings. So um, as we jump kind of into this, so as we look at week eight of the Better Series, this week, I, for me, felt like it was very much a continuation of the last week. And even though our series is in Luke, we started in the book of John, yes, right? Sir. Like, do, is there anything more that we want to, because we're probably going to primarily, well, I guess it's really where you want to take it. Um, the thought is that we're probably going to spend the majority of time looking at the Luke passage, but this John passage is a pretty critical and passage as well like this yeah. whole idea of abiding yeah so uh last week what we really chose was jesus over religion and so when you go why would i choose why would i ever choose religion over jesus and really the reason is this this fear that drives us and so uh I, if you peel back the layer between jesus and religion you peel back a couple more layers and what you really find is fearing jesus versus fearing man so they mm -hmm. kind of go one hand in hand but one of the hard things to trying to wrestle through and all this is trying to figure out how do we actually follow Jesus and not make it about our performance, right? Because I tell you, religion is man's attempt to either get back to God or become your own God. And it's impossible for you to do that. Yeah. So it is a fool's errand to try to practice religion where you perform, 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 and think if you perform good enough, well enough, great enough that the God of the universe will see you, know you, and love you. Because that is a fool's errand. And yet, God does see you, love you, and know you fully, right? And so it can't be that we can perform to get that, but you go, well, what role does our effort and our energy right. have then because uh, in fact Jesus uses his little brother James in the book of James to tell us that you know that uh, that part of faith is actually living and doing works in fact he says true religion and when he used the word religion he talked about what it really looks like to walk in the spiritual realm with Jesus true religion is taking care of orphans and widows right. those are action words meaning you're, there actually should be a response that we're caring for orphans there should be a response that we're caring for widows but we can't just care for orphans and care for widows thinking that will be the thing that will save us. And so last week was really understanding that the way by which you begin this journey is first you have to see Jesus for who he is. So you see him. Like mm -hmm. not as just some neat prophet or this, you know, real cool hippie guy who played hacky sack and wore sandals, you know, and, and like seeing him as more than just a nice little chill dude, but as King of Kings, Lord of Lords. So you yeah. see him. But not only do you see him for who he is, then you have to make a decision about when you see him for who he is and whether or not you will receive him as that Lord, right? So he is King of King, Lord of Lords. So you see him, then you receive him. As you receive him, what starts to happen is then you have a response to him, right? So now you start to trust him with your life. You start, start to trust him with your uh, joy and your hopes and all those things. Instead of finding joy and peace and your accolades, your performance, or the things that you find pleasure, you respond to Jesus. And as you start to respond to Jesus, something happens in your heart and you actually become like him. So you see him, you receive him, you respond to him, and then, then, and only then, 
do we start to reflect him? And what tends to happen in churches is we go, okay, now that you believe this, here's what you're supposed to do. Now start yeah. performing, clean up your act, tuck in your shirt, part your hair, throw those CDs away. But that is still your religion in your head. Maybe it's hmm. Christian religion that's convinced you this, that gets you to perform well for Jesus. And that's why we live in so much anxiety because deep down we all know that we can't perform that well. So what you have is a bunch of people putting their mask on for the Sunday morning, pretending everything's good, and they go back into their life and to their secret sin. Yeah. So if that's all the case, and you got to choose Jesus over religion, well, how do you do that? Well, first got to see him, then you got to receive him, then you got to respond to him, and then you'll reflect him. Well, um, in order to understand how we do that well, we got to see kind of what the, the, the counterpoints and the counterattacks are, and religious people hated this. Religious people hated that Jesus said, no, 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 I'm enough. You are so broken and so dirty that there is you could not build a ladder tall enough, could not come up with a set of rules clean enough to get back to me. And so Jesus literally comes and basically says, I am the only way to get back to God, right? I am the only way. You can't reconcile yourself, but if religion is man's attempt to get back to God or become their own God, Christianity which is uniquely different than every other worldview. Christianity is God's perfect attempt to reconcile himself through Jesus back to man. But religious people, they don't like that because they like their rules and lists and their control that come with it. And so what we saw last week was that when Jesus finally cleared this out and told them that they look really pretty on the outside, but they are dirty and rotten on the inside, they don't like it. They start to follow him even closer because they are looking for a way to entrap him and arrest him and eventually murder him. So to understand that, we understand that Jesus knows we got to go see me, uh, receive me as Lord and Savior. And so where that comes to, probably to me the most, uh, in the, with the most clarity is right before Jesus is literally about to be arrested by these same guys, right? The same scheme, this conspiracy yeah. they put together to arrest and murder this guy because he called himself the king of the Jews because he was the king of the Jews. They called himself God incarnate because he was God incarnate. Yeah. So they literally, which is so interesting, we'll get to it. He, they call, say that he blasphemes against God, but they're actually blaspheming against God when they're accusing him of that. Like it is like yeah. that textbook picture of what projection looks like, yeah. right? And so they come and they arrest him. But right before they do, Jesus pulls his buddies and he walks through some really important things. He tells them, don't let their hearts be troubled. Don't fear all the outside noise. And said, um, believe in God, believe also in him. And he talks about it. in his father's house, there's many rooms. He actually tells them about the kingdom of heaven that's come. And he goes, and I'm preparing a place that you can be with me also. And then he tells them how to get there. He goes, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one gets to the Father but through me. This is like this beautiful last kind of moments, this last discourse that Jesus has with his disciples. So all this stuff has happened and now he's trying to give them kind of this real quick, you know, understanding of what they're about to face. Don't let your heart be troubled. And then he says, don't worry. I'm going to give you another just like me. So he says, as you see me and as you receive me, what you're actually receiving is my spirit. So he says, I'm going to give you another just like me, the Holy Spirit. And what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit will come into you and you're going to start responding in that. And guess what? As you respond, you're going to start reflecting that. So he's explained that in John 14. And for John chapter 15, he finally explains exactly how we do that. And that's where we get this passage of yeah. abiding. And he gives us the picture of the vine and the vine dresser and him being the vine and all we are is just the, the fruit yeah. like and you know about like fruit on a vine it does nothing yeah. it does nothing it turns pretty then it becomes a piece of fruit yeah that's it because all the work is done by the vine and all the vine and the vine is taken care of by the vine dresser so he's going dad is the vine dresser I'm the vine. Your only role in this is to abide in me. And they're going, no, 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 you told us we're supposed to produce fruit. Yep. Well, how do you produce fruit? 
Yeah. When you abide in him. So what, what happens as you see him and receive him and start to respond to him, you start to reflect him. People start to see Jesus in you. It literally is going to look like Jesus is living through you because he actually is. And so it's really important that when we wrestle through how do we live in this Christian life, if it's not about our performance, well, what what's the role? That's what I wanted to get yeah, to John yeah, 15. We yeah. go, well, the role is rest and abide. And I promise yeah. you, I promise you, I promise you, as you sit with Jesus and you start to see as God sees, you can't help but start to do the things that God does. Mm-hmm. Right? So you go, what's my role? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I'd say is there'll be plenty of stuff for us to do, but all the stuff that we'll do will be as a response of all the stuff that God has already done in you. So if your motivation is to do things so that God will be happy with you, so that people will be impressed with you, you have bypassed the most important part of abiding. When you cannot help, you cannot contain the goodness in you that you want to share with other people, that's the result of the fruit that's going to be bursting forth in you. But that fruit only comes by remaining in the vine. And so the crux of Christianity is all about this idea of we abide, we abide, we abide. Because out of a, out of a, the, the abiding, he says, apart from us, we can do nothing. That's where the real fruit of ministry comes from. So we have to keep coming back to this place where we go back. This is why it tells us, Paul says, in view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Yeah. They would have understood sacrifices were brought to altars. But the difference is he calls it a living sacrifice, meaning the, 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 the folks that are sacrificing and are laying before God are us. But living sacrifices, that means they could continue to crawl back off the altar. Yeah. altar. So there's just this constant kind of realignment of going, no, 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 go back and abide, come back and abide, come back and abide. So there is no way that you ever get out of this realm of seeing him, receiving him, and then responding out of the result of that. So that's why John 15 is such an important part of going, this is what true, you know, true Christian worldview looks like as we rest and remain in Jesus. And out of that is where the work comes. Yeah. So that, I think, is so important to understand yeah. the difference between this and every other religion. Every other religion goes, go do that stuff, and then eventually you'll be welcome to the club. Yeah. And God, Jesus is going, no, 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 you're welcome. Come and sit, and eventually I will fill you so full that you will not be able to contain this, and it's just going to naturally overflow and feed the people around you. Yeah. So that's a different perspective than what we've seen in our lives right, and in right. religion. I feel like I've been saved for, yeah. at this point, you know, half of my life, so 15, 16 years. And I grew up in church, so I feel like I've been around church forever but this message of abiding still applies to me today as much as it did the first time like i still feel like that's what i struggle with is actually abiding and resting because um and and in fact now's a a great time to ask this question from one of our viewers um they said this is something that's been bugging them for the last couple weeks so they'll bring it up in hopes that they're not the only one struggling they said as one who has been task oriented versus people oriented how do i keep from being performance oriented in my walk and this (laughs) i can I can connect with this next statement. It says perfectionism sits at my door. Like I feel oh, like that, that that's what I've grown up and that's how I would say it too. It says um, the whole task uh, drive makes me feel religious and not so relational attentive. I believe I'm created to be task oriented, fearfully and wonderfully made. Any clues on how that should look as a spirit filled, spirit led believer? And then there's a second thing that says, um, there's this whole fruit thing. I see a basket of good fruit from many. I know that I'm not supposed to compare. 
However, I'm not sure if I see good fruit in my life and it bothers me. Though I'm task-driven, I do not consider completed tasks as fruits. Am I missing something? How does one produce good fruit and not get caught up in performance? Yeah, so uh, I, I know who wrote this, and I just would say, I certainly hope you're listening. That's so interesting. I don't see much fruit in myself. So I'm going, no, no, I no. Agree. We all see such fruit in you. And this is what's really, really important. Well, you got to remember, what's the purpose of the fruit? Every single yeah. time. What's the purpose of the fruit for the tree? It's not to serve the, the tree, right? The tree doesn't need the fruit to fall and feed itself, right? That, the, the tree is not, not getting most of its nourishment from its fruit that's fallen off the tree. The purpose of the fruit in every single category of fruit is for the people who encounter the, the tree, the vine, right? So the purpose of the fruit is for the people that encounter it. Yeah. So one thing I would just argue is it's going to be hard for you personally to assess the the value of your fruit because you're not the connoisseur of your own fruit. Yeah. You're just not, right? So your fruit is for other people. So like, for example, I, I no, this person will go, yep, I see some real yeah. fruit of prophetic gifts and yeah. fruit of prayer that I think it sustains and underwrites our church that I see personally happening, but it might be hard to see when you're that up close in the middle of it. And so one, I just would go, your job is not even to figure out who all the fruits for. Your job is to abide and mm. produce the fruit and allow God to do that work. And I personally see that in your life. Now that, so the performance thing, yeah. yep, I'm with you there. Boy, am I with you and all that. And that's why I think it's really, really important that we grow some emotional intelligence mm. in this and some awareness, right? And that we actually understand what our motivation is, mm. right? And so we have to go, why do I do the things that I do? But I don't, so the question you ask is, why do I do the things that I do? And then pause and go, really? And then ask the question again, why do I do the things I do? Really? Like, why are you cutting your neighbor's grass? Mm -hmm. Why did you just shovel their driveway, Josh? Well, is it because I hope someone saw it? Mm -hmm. Well, because if that's the case, I'm doing the exact opposite of what the gospel says, that there's nothing I can do to perform and no, no one else can offer that validity. If it's God, you have given me hands and feet and the ability and given me the shovel and I can go and participate in the kingdom of heaven now. So I got a little extra energy. They got a driveway that needs to be shoveled. Let me get on it. I'll have respond to all the gifts that God has already given me and all the graciousness. So I have to actually be able to pause and wonder what my motivation is because it's not, one of the things I struggle with a long time is like as a communicator, particularly someone who loves marketing, loves it, loves it, loves it. Like I love branding and marketing and design in a different world. I ran a website business and a marketing business, love all that stuff. But one of the things that I really struggled with in the church was, but, but is that me manufacturing this right, right, right. or is that God at work in it? And I think that's the only one who knows that is you. You know, that's <laughs> like, it's like even the Ten Commandments. There's so many of those, like thou shalt not covet your neighbor, yeah. whatever that is. No one knows. Yeah. Except for you. And so when the the but so even with the marketing thing, I had to go, well, what's my purpose in doing this? Is it that I want to grow a church? Mm. So I'd be seen as this leader of a big church, or is it just that I want the kingdom of heaven to come to earth? And guess what? There's only one place you can discern that. You know where it is? By abiding. Yeah. By pausing. By resting, right? By sitting still before God and allowing him to expose those things in us. Yeah. So where are you looking? Are you seeing Jesus? Is Jesus, are you receiving Jesus? Are you allowing the light of his life to come in and shine and cast out the darkness? If all that's happened, then it would make sense. Whatever that task is, is actually something that, are you doing that's out of the overflow of what Jesus has done in you? If that's the case, then 
please go do those tasks, right? So like even the Mary Martha thing, there's kind of this, you should be a Mary, not a Martha. And I agree, agree, you got to sit. But at some point, Mary's going to be charged to do some really right. ta- some very important tasks for the gospel. Going to be charged with them, right? Yeah. Very important task with the gospel. And she's not going to go, well, I just got to sit here. I'm just going to sit by the tomb, right? I'm, a, I'm just going to sit by the cross. No, no, there's work to be done. And so what I usually say, and it doesn't come from that passage, so this is not me quoting the Mary Martha passage. I would go, please, 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 don't go do the task till you sat at his feet, hmm. right? Maybe there had been time to Martha go, hey, oh, goodness, we get, it's time for us to put together this food. Hey, Jesus, it's okay if I go put together food. Oh, yes, Mar- Mar- Martha, yeah. But it, so I think ultimately... The, the fact that you're asking the question would imply that you're really, really wanting to seek God and finally please him with all of your heart, right? So there'll be tasks to do, but the way that you do that is first by abiding. And so if you haven't done the hard work of looking into your soul and asking you why did you do the things you do, really, that'd be the place you start. And if you get to the point where God, you recognize it's all gift from God and that he's been so gracious to you, you can't help but be gracious with the things that he's given to you because it's an abundance mentality and you start to want to make that fruit available to others, that would be an indication that God has produced some real fruit in you. So the other thing I would just say is, are you working really, 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 really hard to try to produce something? Ah, That's probably you trying to produce some fruit. If out of the natural, although of your heart and this natural fruit that seems to come from someone else that people are enjoying, I would say that's probably for God. I feel like that was what my question was going to be, is going, okay, so is that kind of the opposite, an inclination of maybe this isn't what God has called me to do, as in this is something that I, you know, I felt maybe called into, but now it's not out of uh, out of an overflow. It's from a from reserves that I'm kind of doing this. And, and I believe that there's sometimes that God calls us into seasons that we are just we are called to endure. Yeah. But other times when we're faced with a choice, is this something that I continue or not? Is that a means to be able to help discern if that's something that we're supposed to endure or not? Yeah. I think ultimately it goes back to have you paused inside of Jesus' mm-hmm. feet? Have you rested in Him and what you're actually serving out of is the overflow or the margin in your yeah. life, right? I don't think you're, I, don't, I honestly don't think we're called in almost any category to serve from a place of depletion. Yeah. Because you're not really capable of it, yeah, right? And right. so, yeah, there are some places where you're, there's going to be a gap between what you're capable of. Yeah. And when you take steps in that in faith, that God will fulfill those things. But again, those all come from this place of yeah. what is your motivation? Is your motivation that. To, to please God because you think if you do this, he'll like you more or he'll give you more? Because that is, that's again more religion. Is it your motivation to go, he's just been so gracious to me. Yeah, like I just yeah. can't help. This is just a reflection of who he is in me. Yeah. As long as you're not looking for some kind of dividend on the back end as a result of doing it, then I, it would make sense to do it. You know, if, yeah. But again, it's like coveting, right? The only one who's going to know this is you, and the only way you're going right, to be able to right. do that is if you take the time to sit still before the Lord and ask Him to right. search your heart and reveal the places that you've not allowed His light in. Yeah, I feel like even on a personal level, that's part of the the reason is, is that it wasn't out of an overflow that my wife and I kind of came to the decision that we were we were done with foster care. Mm. At least in this season that we were in, we felt very much that God called us into yeah. it. And for a season, I feel like we were doing it out of an overflow. And then more challenges, more complications yeah. came. And then it was not that. And it would have even called for more. And so I feel like God even had a hand in that. Yeah. So I feel like that's part of the reason why I ask is because it became a place of what started as an overflow was no longer out of an overflow. Yeah. And it was very much feeling yeah. depleted. 
And I think that that was a means of, of God calling my wife and I of going, hey, maybe this isn't for the season for now. Yeah, so we can look at a lot, a lot of different things. One, Jesus talks about the good shepherd lays down his life for sheep, and he explains that there's an enemy, which yeah. he describes, like I would describe as a wolf, someone who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Yeah. So it has all this work actually still kill and destroy in your life. Right. But Jesus says, but I, I come to give you life to the fullest. So is this the place of full life? Now, another one is when Jesus tells the parable of the talents, and he says, go be a good steward of what I've entrusted to you, right? So use the manager. But the end, the most important part of that passage is the ones that were actually good steward, they come back and go, Jesus, we steward this well. And he says something really, really interesting. Enter into the joy of your master. So is what you're doing actually allowing you to enter into the joy of your master, Jesus? Or is it actually something that you think if you do it well, maybe Jesus will allow you to experience something good later, right? So again, all this requires some emotional intelligence and more than just emotional intelligence, it just requires some margin in our life to pause and go, Josh, why do I do what I do? Really, really, right? Like even good question every Sunday, why do you come, why did I come to church today? Mm. Really? Was it because I thought God would be mad at me if I didn't come? Or I thought my grandmother would be mad at me if I didn't come? Or my spouse would be mad at me if I didn't come? Oh, that's, you're missing it, right? Or is it because you really, really, really just want to sit and right. soak and hear from God and then do what he says? So requires some courage for us to actually look into that question and go, why do I do what I do, really? Yeah, I think one of the questions that came up as I was, uh, I, for me personally, as we were working through John 15 was verse 7 where it says, uh, John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide yeah. in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And I just, I, I've heard this passage, I've preached off this passage, like, right. and it just struck me, like, I wanted to take a little bit of time of going, how how important is that second part, which we can easily glance over? So abide in Jesus, done. But that second part, and my words in you, if you abide in me and my words in you, how important is that to us? And then how do we do that besides reading God's Word. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> throughout the Scripture, it says it's impossible to, believe, uh, to please God without faith. Yeah. So there's something about faith. And then Paul tells us faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the Word of Christ. So I don't, and this is where it gets weird, because last week I was talking about that the Scriptures are the pointing finger. They're yeah. not the Savior, but they certainly do point towards the Savior. So now we actually see that relationship. We rest in Jesus, yeah. and we allow his words to rest in us. Honestly, that's why reading the scriptures is really important. That's why, and you know, having worship music playing in your house or old hymns or different things, and God's word, particularly those like of the Psalms that people are singing of you, come into you. There is something supernatural, even mystical, and get careful with that word, definitely sacred about this interaction between resting in Jesus and allowing his word to rest in us. So, I was just talking to the staff today that the number one role we have as Christian leaders is just to hear from God and then do what he says. Hear from God and do what he says. Not be clever, not have the best schemes, but hear from God and be confident in what God has spoken to us. And the way that we can be confident in what God's spoken to us is always, always through his word. If you want to go, I want to hear God's voice, you can go download the resource page. I'll point you to that in a, little, uh, in a few more minutes from now as well. There's actually a document to help you kind of wrestle with and listen to and hear God's voice. So yes, mm. it is. You see, there's actually kind of this formula. You rest in Christ. You allow his word to rest in you. And anything, therefore, you ask, he will do, right? So it seems to be this A plus B is going to equal C. Resting in Christ, abiding in Christ, allowing his word to abide in you. And then what happens as you see him, 
Christ and receive him in his word, what's going to happen? You're going to start to respond to him. So now your heart is changing to the things that you ask for are going to be of his nature and of his reflection. So of course he's going to, he's going to underwrite that so that your life and your church can reflect his mission and his love. Yeah, that's good. Um, I, so there's a couple different thoughts that I had that I want to jump through. I feel like to to ask a question from verse 10 as it popped out. So verse 10 is similar. It says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So I feel like the natural question is that, is if you're listening to that and you're struggling in sin or you're struggling with um, something that, you, you know, you're a believer, you're, you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you're still struggling with something, is that verse saying that if you don't keep my commandments, well, then you're not actually abiding in Christ? How do how do we wrestle or understand mm. that? Because I think we all struggle with sin, right? Like, and the the reality is, is Christ has already won the victory for us, and we have to walk. And the more we abide in Him, then the less we should struggle. It doesn't mean that we won't struggle with sin, but the less that that should kind of have a a, a place, a, a, a foothold in our lives. So how do we wrestle with this if we're going, man, I still do struggle with sin. Yeah, so we all will. So, uh, uh, and again, this is why I love even when we get much later and Jesus says, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. So there, yeah. there's lots of grace here, right? But a lot of this has to do with your perception of God. Yeah. So think about this. Why do you feel like you should keep God's commandments? Hmm. Something to really think about. Do I keep God's commandments because I think that's what's going to earn my love, yeah. his love of me? Do I keep his commandments because he's going to give me what I want like he's a genie in a bottle? Okay, fine. God, I'll stay married because my life is miserable. So I'll stay married, but you fix this, right? Like there's always this, I'll do this so that you'll fix it. Or perhaps you can see it from a different perspective of if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now we can see what, so right before that, if you see what it says, is the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And so what, I, what I'd like to turn your attention to, our attention to, is more the motivation of why God gives us commandments. So ask the question to yourself, why has God given you his commandments? Why? Is it because he wants to punish you? Because he wants to be a tyrant? No, he just told us in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So. The thing is, this is actually, it seems like cause effect. Okay, if I do this, then he'll love me. No, 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 no. You do this because he yeah. loves you. So you will know you're abiding in his love because you're keeping his commandments because you trust that he's giving you those commandments because he loves you. So this isn't if A, then B, I'll, I'll, I'll keep his commandments, so therefore he'll love me. No, 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 no. Those kind of go together. I keep his commandments because he loves yeah. me. I say I don't look at those things because God loves me and has a better plan for me than that. I am staying, I trust God with my finances because he has to be my treasure because he loves me. And so what's really, 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 really important as we think about all of his commandments, every single one of them he gave us was for our freedom, not his, he's free, right? Like, so even if you want to go back to a, like an illustration when you had little kids, we lived in a house uh, that didn't have a fence. But mm -hmm. then we have a little kid and we put up a fence. Now here's the neat thing, once we put up a backyard fence, a privacy fence, now all of a sudden my three-year-old could run around and play in the whole backyard, right? Before the fence was there, he wasn't allowed to because mm -hmm. there was no boundary and he could run off into the road, right? So he had less freedom yeah. before the fence was there because there was nothing there to kind of contain him. But then we give a fence because why? 
We love him and want to give him healthy boundaries, right? And so when God puts up these boundaries, it's not to punish us. It's actually just because he loves us. And so when we now understand and we see him and we receive him, we want to keep his commandments because not only just to please him so that he'll be happy with us, but because he's already pleased with us and already happy with us. And he has given us his word to help us live a life that he has planned for us. So if you keep his commandments, you abide in his love because you are you will only be keeping those commandments because you have come to the conclusion that the best thing you could possibly ever do is follow what God tells you to do. Yeah. Why? Because he loves you. But the minute you take these commandments and make it about a religion, you better do this, you better yeah. do this, because if you don't, God's angry. All of a sudden, it just takes out the love of the yeah. whole thing and therefore takes out the motivation to do it. You cannot follow the commandments to get back to heaven. The commandments were given to us to prove to you that you were incapable of following them. And yet they're really, really great guardrails because God loved you and gave you a really good life to live. So I don't know that it's cause effect as much as these yeah. two things are a marriage that happens. I keep his commandments because yeah. I'm abiding in his love. Therefore, I want to read his word because the God of the universe loves me and has spoken yeah. to me. Yeah. And one of the things that you talked about was, and I have in my notes here, but I'm not sure if this is exactly where you did it or not. Um, but was talking about we need to choose the fear of Jesus over the fear of man, yeah. right? Like that's so critical. And as we kind of turn and look at Luke, this is in the middle of kind of a teaching where he's going, woe to the Pharisees and you're a sign of Jonah and like your whitewashed no. tombs. Like he's he's saying some pretty or like you're, you clean the inside or the outside of the cup, but not the inside. Like yeah, yeah. He's saying some pretty harsh things to the believe to the to the religious folk of that mm. time. And so then as we get into this fear of God versus or fear of yeah. Jesus versus fear of man, um, I, I think that there was more that you wanted to share about that. Yeah, so there's a lot to think about here. And this is what's really important. You understand the context of what we just read. Jesus yeah. has just called out all the dirty religion. Yeah. So all these folks are seething. So he's got yeah. his little disciples right there. Now he's got all these religious people. It's just told us there's thousands, thousands, yeah. thousands there. And they are angry. So you can imagine at this point, those 12 guys want to cower. Like, why are we following this guy? He literally is just making everybody yeah. else angry. So he's been speaking all this out loud. Now yeah. he's going to turn it inwardly, and he's going to give them some really important things to understand in the middle of the turmoil and chaos. Yeah. This is helpful for us because we live in turmoil and chaos. We have a lot of outer noise out there that is pulling yeah. and driving, and so much of our motivation is to please that outer chaos or to avoid the confrontation from the outer mm -hmm. chaos. So he's going to call them inward, and he's going to focus on fear. He's going to go, okay, we got. let me tell you, we got to focus on this one thing. Do not fear. So he's going to say, and uh, let's see, uh, verse 4, I tell you, friends, do not fear those who can kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. So he's going to say, hey, there's something that drives a lot of us, and what it is is it's actually fear, yeah. fear. So he's going to be somewhat reductionistic, but there tends to be two different places we can place our fear. We can place our fear on those who can cause harm to our bodies, right? To our, our, our harm to our temporal lives, let's say that. Maybe not physical harm to our bodies, but they can actually do something that could hurt your 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. They have power to do some damage there. And he's going to go, you can fear that. Or you can look at the much broader timeline and you can fear the one who can actually impact and change that. So you wanna do you wanna focus on someone who can change this temporary little blip of history? Or do you wanna do you wanna fear the one who can change it all? And so he is walking in close to them and he is giving them a very, very big, broad view of who he is. Yeah. Right? So he's got a mic, he's going, Yep, these guys can do something that will really hurt you now in that very short temporal moment. 
or you can think at a much larger picture. So he's given us this comparison, which Luke does a lot in contrast of eternity versus the here and now. And most of what drives all of us is the what's right in front of us, the here and now, right? Yeah. And a, a really easy way to think about this is all of our credit card debt, hmm. right? Or all the debt that we've kind of ensued. We've done, we have leveraged our future for our present. And Jesus is going, don't leverage your future for your present. Leverage your present for your future. You got it? Many of us, we've we've swiped the credit card and go, oh, I'll pay for that two years from now. I'll have a bigger job, more money. I'll have more equity in my house. So we leverage our future that we have not even promised for right here in the present. He's going, you can't do that. Hey, right here in front of me. You got to leverage this moment in light of those moments. And so how do you do that? Well, you do it by focusing your attention and your affection on the one who determines the entire future. Leverage your present for the future, not leverage your future for the present. And so you see this contrast. And so as I was doing some different work on this, Mark Driscoll, I taught you know, 10, 15 years ago through the Gospel of Luke, and he talked about a guy named, uh, I wanna say his name's Ed Welch. Ed Welch, yeah. So Ed Welch wrote a book called When People Are Big and God Is Small, hmm. Overcoming Peer Pressure, Codependency, and the Fear of Man. Okay? okay? Really neat book. Let me tell you the name of the book again. When People Are Big and God Is Small. Right? Hmm. So this is what we're looking at here. The people seem big and Jesus seems small. Yeah. People seem big and Jesus seems small. So the present seems really big. The future seems really small. Right? And so he asked some questions in there to help us figure out wh- whether or not we, we're, we're afraid of... Uh, the big people and, yeah. and play, made God small and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I would uh, point you to is actually the resource page. I told you about that in the, in the uh, Hearing God's Voice. But on the resources page, if you scroll down to the bottom, right before it gets to the history where you can read about our history, there's actually a document that says 15 question, questions about the fear of man. Mm-hmm. Didn't write this. I literally did some quick research. I haven't even read Ed Welch's book, just to be honest with you. So I can't, I don't know that I can recommend it, but these questions are pretty neat. Yeah. So there's 14 questions. So what I'm going to do is just walk through them really quick with all of us. But this is one of okay. the things that goes back to that question of the only one who can know these things is you. And the only way that you can determine these things is actually by having the courage to actually look at your life. So we can now decide whether or not we're trusting God and fearing him and making him Lord. Because what ends up happening is if we fear people over man, what we're really doing is we're making people Lord and boss of our lives as opposed to Jesus. And you only can have one Lord. It's either Jesus or your grandfather, Jesus or your boss, Jesus or your spouse. And so how do we determine that? So if you go to the resources page, yeah. you'll be able to do and that. I'm, I'm gonna post that in the chat right now yep. so you can click that link. So you just click on the resources, scroll down. And so here's here's the first one. Have you ever struggled with peer pressure? And uh, <laughs> this guy says, peer pressure is simply a euphemism for the fear of man. Peer pressure, right? You do things because of what your people do. Maybe you bought something, drank something, whatever that is. The second one is, are you overcommitted? Do you find it hard to say no when wisdom indicates that you should? You're a people pleaser. Again, another euphemism for the fear of man. People pleaser, peer pressure, just fear of man. Third one is, do you need something from your spouse? Do you need your spouse to listen to you, respect you? Mm-hmm. Unless you understand the biblical parameters of marital commitment, your spouse will become the one you fear. And it's crazy that many of us fear our spouses and you and I have made them Lord and they didn't even ask for that place in our life. Didn't even ask for it. And yeah, we've done that. Uh, you're, and what ends up happening is it certainly feels like they have all the control. And the reason it feels like they have all the control because you have all the fear, right? Something to consider there. Fourth one is self-esteem, a critical concern for you. This, at least in the United States, is the most popular way the fear of the people is expressed. Self-esteem. Self-esteem. 
We gotta get likes, we gotta get loves, we gotta get viewers, we gotta get followers. Yeah. Right? Because somehow the fear of all these people not liking us is what drives it. And yeah. so next one is do you ever feel as if you were you might be exposed as an imposter? Oh that sense of being exposed is an expression of the fear. Man, next one. Do you always guess uh, always second guess decisions because of what people might think? All right, next one. Uh, do you feel empty or meaningless? Do you ever experience what uh, I guess Ed Welch would call love hunger? If you need others to feel you, you are actually controlled by them. Do you get easily embarrassed? And so people and the perceived opinions probably define you. And number nine, do you ever lie? Especially the little white lies. What about the cover-ups where you're not technically lying with your mouth? Lying and the other form of living, forms of living in the dark are usually ways to make ourselves look better for people, which would mm -hmm. indicate that we fear people. Now, are you jealous of other people? Are you uh, controlled by them and their possessions? Again, all this is inward. Mm -hmm. Nobody's don't know that. Do other people make you angry or depressed? Are they making you crazy? If so, they're probably controlling the center of your life. Do you avoid people? Oh, sorry about this one. This one's me. If so, even though you might not say that you need people, you're still controlled mm -hmm. by them. Aren't most diets, even when they are ostensibly under the heading of health, dedicated to impressing others? So you're trying to mm -hmm. impress others. Um, last one, have all these descriptions missed the mark? When you compare yourself with other people, do you feel good about yourself? Uh, perhaps the most dangerous form of the fear of man is the successful fear of man. Such people have more than others. Mm -hmm. They feel good about themselves, but their lives are still defined by other people rather than God. So you read through that list and here's the bad news. It certainly seems to imply that all of us yeah. uh, struggle with this. All of us struggle with being controlled or being run or being manipulated or at least being guided by people's responses. And so yeah. Jesus, in his great grace, peers into these people and he uses the object lesson of the 2,000 or more people seething. And he says, you got two options. You can give them power control of your life. And they honestly, and he's going to be very clear, they actually might have some power control to do some damage to you. They actually could cause some harm. So he tells you, there is going to be some suffering in this. So yeah. let's look at it. You're going to suffer. That is, He's not saying, hey, if you do this, everything is better. No, no, they actually have some real power. They have some real power to make fun of you, to damage you, to yeah. cause physical or mental or social harm to you. And so when Jesus actually is going to deal with this issue, he's actually going to ask us to replace whatever that fear of those things are with the fear of him. Yeah. That's that's going to be first and foremost. And then he's going to he's going to tell us how to do it. And the first one is this. He's going to say, replace, let me be the judge, not them. And the second one is he prepares them and says, you will suffer. Yeah. So this isn't like he's telling us there won't be any suffering. So it's really important. And why many of us have walked away from this faith system is because we thought that Praying this prayer would mean that we'd feel no more harm. And Jesus is going, no, this birth to death, there might be some real pain. Yeah. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you we we know that, right? And so he's not he's not whitewashing it. He's yeah. taking this moment to go, yep, you're right, guys. They can hurt you. Yeah. In fact, all 11, 12 of you, he didn't say it there, but it's going to end badly for you in many ways. But it's actually going to end glorious for you because it actually will never end in this and so first thing he does is he has them see him as judge second is he challenges them to be willing to suffer explains them that life is temporary and then third he gives us some really neat assurances and this is what i talked about on sunday is when he goes through this he tells us three things that like the sparrows he remembers us always yeah. good news is the reason that he's a better judge is he will not forget you here's mm -hmm. what's really really interesting about this most people that you're afraid of will <laughs> yeah. they will that boss you're afraid of you moved on to another job and he still has control of your mind. He doesn't even know who you are anymore. Yeah. 
right? That X who did all that damage to you, they moved on and they're doing it to someone else. <laughs> so it's so weird as he's going, you allow people to guide this for you and they don't remember you. You were a blip on their radar. You were just a blip, right? And yet you still are seething on these things and he's going, the thing is, I will not forget you. You will. I will always remember you. And he says, "Are you not? Are not five sparrows sold for too many? And not one of them was forgotten before God." This is interesting. So he puts a value on them, and then says, "I, uh, I, I won't forget you." And then he says, "Why even the hairs on your head are all numbered? And uh, fear not, you are more valuable than any sparrows." Next thing that's just really important: not only are you not forgotten, he sees and knows you perfectly. So this is a guy that you don't have to hide behind. You can't hide from. So this isn't like other people you got to perform where he's going. The bad news is he sees all of you. Yeah. And he actually just tells us earlier in the passage that everything's going to come out into the light at some point. Right. And he's already all, already seen it all. He knows everything about you. I love the song that Chris Tomlin sings, Indescribable, where he says, he sees the depths of our heart and he loves us the same. You are an amazing God, right? So he sees all of us. And then the third one is, so fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. So he's not going to forget you. He sees everything about you and he values you deeply. Yeah. So go back to this little crowd around you. They're going to forget you at some point after they do the damage. They don't even know you. They don't even know who you are because you're pretending to be a certain person. They don't know you. They're not interested in you. They're interested in what you could do for them. And the third thing is they do not value you. And he's going, the reason you should fear this holy and perfect God and have this reverence for mm-hmm. me as Lord is I know you. I won't forget you. And I value you deeply. And that is revolutionary in terms of religion. Yeah revolutionary in terms of how re- deities view their people. Yeah. So. And so jump into verse 8 of chapter 12 and says, And I tell you, anyone who acknowledge me, acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, also will acknowledge before the angels of God. Um, and then this is where we have another question, so I'm yeah. kind of driving towards uh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So uh, verse 9 says, But the one who denies me before men will be n- denied before the angels of God. And that in and of itself right there, that's, that's I feel like that should get our attention yeah. and go, hey, wait a minute. Like, if we deny him, he will deny us. So what he's doing here, which is what I need, is he's going, oh, you, you think this is a crowd, <laughs> right? Oh, you think this is a crowd? Wait till you see my father's crowd. Yeah. They're going to be all surrounded her, and you're going to come in there, and you're going to be like, what? <laughs> Those wings? You know, yeah, and he's right. going to go, here's the thing. I'm going to say, he's one of us. Yeah. This is my child, right? So he, but so before then, he's just telling him to fear God, and then he seems to they all turn the focus and go, oh, yeah. "I'm God," yeah. right? So he's talking about fear God, fear the one who can, fear the one who can, and now he's going to be, the, "I'm the one who can." Yeah. Like fear the one who can do something about your eternity, and then I'm the one who can. And so, what's your response yeah. to this? It's really, really simple. You acknowledge him. Yeah. You acknowledge him. You want in. You don't perform. You don't cover up. You don't even confess all your brokenness. All yeah. You just acknowledge him. That word acknowledge literally means to come to the same conclusion, to agree, to profess because you are in full agreement. Mm. So what does this mean? He's going, when you acknowledge that I'm the son of man, that I am God in the flesh, there's going to be other crowds you're going to be in. Yeah. But I'm going to point and go, no, this is my brother. This is my child. This is... This, this person is covered, and so he has given us a picture of this eternal, okay? You worry about this birth to death, these folks, what they can do. Now, let's imagine what it's like to get out of birth to death. Let's imagine what it's like to get an attorney, and you come into this place, because all of them have this picture of what heaven will look like with the care bearers and the clouds, and he's going, all of them are going to see you. And when you can acknowledge that I am he, 
then I will acknowledge you before them. Yeah. So really, really neat to think about in terms of just the, the contrast of this yeah, right. seething people and these angelic beings. Yeah, and it's interesting because every time you see an angel in Scripture, like usually the angel responds, fear not, right? Because when we think angel, we think of, you know, touched by an angel where a light turns on and all of a sudden. But these were, like if you read Revelations, the description of the seraphim, yeah. right? Like yeah. these are crazy scary yeah. like it's hard to picture yeah so yeah and in fact i don't think there's a time an angel interacts in like a big way with the message from god where he doesn't start or yeah with fear not, fear not. Yeah. And so yeah so it's, it's interesting to think about wow these are the folks you really should fear yeah. but don't worry you're not going to fear them as long as yeah you acknowledge me before men yeah so i i think that that's yeah. interesting and, and as we get to 10 what i don't want to do is i, I feel like the questions that we have kind of mm. talk about the blasphemy of the holy spirit but looking yeah. at that first part of 10 is so beautiful because we see the grace that yeah. God bestows us. It says, verse 10, and anyone or and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Yeah. And so I think that it's, again, I feel like I tend to go, okay, what does that mean? I don't want to do that second yeah. part. I'm fearful of that second part of going, I don't ever want to do yeah. that. But it's first recognizing and seeing the grace that God mm-hmm. bestows as well. Yeah. Yeah, so this is where it's really important. I think the question, uh, I may go ahead and start talking about yeah, this. Yeah, go for I, be, Do you want me to read it? Yeah, yeah, why don't you read it because I think I can help, okay. you, help you understand so both sides here, of it. So here's a question from one of our listeners. It says in Matthew 12, 32, it says, When Jesus says that speaking against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, it appears that he is responding to the Pharisee's statement at twelve twenty four, and he casts out demons by the same by the power of Satan. So this is, he's using Matthew. We are looking at it. Luke, same story, just different reading. Um, um, so I've always thought that blaspheming the Holy Spirit was basically giving Satan credit for God's goodness. Maybe this is reversing moral values and unforgivable, not because God is deeply offended, but because any heart so thoroughly hardened as to do this would reject God's gracious offer of forgiveness anyways. That is, uh, and then kind of the second part is what's more difficult to understand is how one can blaspheme the Holy Spirit without simultaneously blaspheming Jesus and the Father, given that the Trinity, um, that the Lord, uh, the Lord our God is one. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Yeah. So, yeah, so lots to think about here. Great question. Uh, very complex and nuanced. And this is, by the way, why I love that this is our worldview. Like, I'm yeah. so proud of it. Yeah, Christianity is my worldview. And I didn't, I mean, in some ways I came about it because my parents are Christians, that kind of stuff. But I really did try to, yeah. like, you know, work through it all. And I just someone who steals information, tries to take it all and, to a fault reduces it to you know the lowest common value that I can. Maybe that's the math person in me and the simplification person in me. But what I what I say all the time, right? Religion's man's attempt to get to God or become their own God. Christianity is God's perfect attempt, only one by the way, to get back to man through Jesus. But what? But not so. That's really helpful, but it actually starts to form our understanding of this triune God, yeah. which is really important even when you go all the way back to the beginning because if you don't have this triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, if you don't have that, you don't have infinite love and infinite community, which therefore God's first act is an act of power, not an act of love because mm-hmm. he creates people for a very specific reason because mm-hmm. he wants to be worshipped, which would imply that he needs love. Right? Yeah. So if we don't have a triune God, we have a God who's lonely, then he speaks in existence. And maybe one day he'll love us, but the first thing is he was lonely and was yeah, yeah. So without the Didn't Trinity. Go back to yeah. fear of man. Yeah, right? yeah. So without the Trinity, we don't have a real, un- like, there is no better, under- there isn't a real good reason for why God would create us. Yeah. Triune God, and we know how God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there is perfect love yeah. and infinite love and perfect community and infinite community, meaning God didn't need anything else. 
but as an act of love and compassion and margin and abundance, which is the story of God, a God of abundance, right? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He creates beings to be able to receive that abundant community, that infinite love, right? So that's really important that we can see that, but that's not the only part you got to understand about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They, they actually play different roles, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm going to mess this up because this is a terrible analogy. But so if you imagine... God the Father is, this is is a terrible analogy, okay, Uh, is like your parent, right? And so your parent knows it's your birthday and uh, wants to give you a really good gift. So he goes on Amazon, they go on Amazon and they buy the gift, right? Really, really expensive. Maybe they spent, I don't know, a thousand, two thousand, whatever. It's high, high value target for you, right? And then they send the gift, right? And then the Amazon Prime says they'll get it to you in a certain time and they come and they come to bring it to you. God, the Father is sending the gift, got it? Mm-hmm. The gift, this package that's for you and you alone for your birthday, that's God the Son, it's the gift. But the Amazon delivery driver, mm-hmm. the one who's bringing it to you, is actually the Holy Spirit, right? God the Father sending the gift. God the Son, he is the greatest gift. But the way by which the greatest gift gets to our hearts and penetrates us is actually through God the Holy Spirit, right? Even if you think about this through Mary, right? God the Father is saying, I'm going to give you a gift. Mary's going to produce that gift. But the way by which that gift is underwritten is actually impregnated by the Holy Spirit. So, so that that Holy Spirit brings God the Son into the world, right? Into fetus like not a, like a into a uterus as this i mean it is it is so nuanced there right mm-hmm. so when you think about that god the father sends the gift and so you get the gift right but when it shows up it's a huge 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 box and they come and go hey you gotta sign for this they come and they're going hey sign for this and you're going i don't want that big box i don't like my father he's a jerk he's just trying to buy my affection i don't want anything to do it and you refuse to sign it right you refuse you refuse no no, no i don't want nothing to do with it you turn your back on it and that gift is just go sit in the warehouse mm-hmm. Then the God the Father keeps sending it, keeps sending it, keeps sending it day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. It's actually a pretty good analogy. It is a pretty good analogy. Day in, day out. He keeps sending it and he keeps sending it and you just keep going, no, I want nothing to do with it. (laughs) Eventually, it's going to end up in the warehouse and somebody's going to go, don't want the water? Someone take it home? Whatever it is. There's nothing we can do with this, right? And so when we see how God the Father has this perfect loving Father who is so loving and gracious and yet so perfect that there is a wrath to come, but because he loves us so much, he Mm. makes the greatest gift, the covering of our sins that we only have to receive as a gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. So Jesus is the greatest gift. God the Father is the greatest gift giver. Yeah. And all he's doing is wooing us, right? But the way by which that package is delivered is through the Holy Spirit. So that's what it tells us in 1 Corinthians. We can't even say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit making that available to us. Yeah. And so when we see it in this way, God the Son is available to Jesus. And Jesus is going, here I am. And the Holy Spirit is wooing these people to go, can't you see him? Can't you receive him? Can't you respond to him? Mm-hmm. Like that is the work of the Spirit in our life. The Spirit is delivering this good news outside of just the framework of our world into our hearts and minds. And if you keep denying that gift, eventually you'll get your wish. So when it says blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, what that means is the Holy Spirit, and he's doing this, he's doing it in your life right this second, going, no, can't you hear me? Can't you see the Son for who he is? Like, can't you see it? Don't you know that you've been working so hard and trying to do this on your own and you're exhausted? Can't you just finally just relent? And you go, no, I can't. You dig your heels a little more. Jesus is going, uh, but the one who blasphemes continues to deny 
uh, refusing to acknowledge the good, to blaspheme the more, reverse moral values. No, my father's not good. No, I can't receive that gift. He's just trying to take advantage of me. Yeah. You are literally this presence being delivered to you, and you are calling out the character of the present and the sender of the present mm -hmm. by the work of the one who's delivering the present. And that, I think, is probably the best description of how I understand blasting words. Mm -hmm. That's why it's not when you commit suicide. It's not yeah. when you have this lapse of judgment. That's not when you curse God in this one moment because you're in deep pain. Yeah. He's a good father. He's yeah. a good father. He's a good father. That's where Jesus even, you know, precedes this to say, and anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, they'll be forgiven. Look, this isn't, you, you all of them at some point are going, I don't know that that's God, right? And so he's, he's like, I'll, for, I'll forgive you. But when the work of the Holy Spirit continues to woo you, at some point, you either open the door or you lock the padlocks. Yeah. And those who lock the padlocks and refuse to open the gift, they won't be forgiven. Yeah, yeah. So I hope that helps some in that. And again, the Amazon analogy, Jeff Bezos, yeah, blue or it's like, ah. But <laughs> Not a perfect analogy, yeah. but I do yeah. think it's a good analogy that helps explain it. So I would say that if you have any thoughts or questions specifically about that, well, yeah, yeah. just let us know. Like we, we'll, we'll be happy to address those next week or whenever. Um, we love questions, so feel free to submit them. Yeah. So um, I'm Yeah, so let me, let me point to the next thing. This is why this is really good, okay? If you've gotten there, if you've gotten to the fact that your eyes have been opened, this is what I love what Jesus does here. I mean, his scriptures are so brilliant. Ah, and obviously the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to do it this way. They're so, 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 so brilliant because Jesus now explains this and explains what blaspheming is, like not giving it the value and credence it deserves and turning your back on it. But then he's going to go back to this fear piece, right? So he starts to fear of all these people. And he's saying, yep, they can hurt your body, but here, look for, inward, yeah, right? Yeah. And then he's going to go back and he's going to say in verse 11, and when they bring you before the synagogue, this is so important. That word when means exactly what it means. It means when. It does. Yeah. It's not a condition. Yeah. It's a statement of prophecy. Yeah. When. It means this will happen at some point when they bring you before it. So he's actually even telling them in his good grace that one day you'll stand up before this. This will be trembling. But you're not going to know what to do. But here's the good news. The fact that your eyes have just opened up and you don't see me as Lord, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. So for any of us who have become Christians, for any of us who have now been able to say Jesus is Lord, that means the Holy Spirit has given you the ability to see him and respond to him. Mm -hmm. If he's capable of making you aware of his goodness and who he is and his plans for you for all eternity, if he's capable of delivering the package that gets you into the key, gives you keys to the kingdom of heaven forever, then it would make sense that he's also capable of giving you the package of communicating whatever is necessary to those you stand before. So if he's capable of delivering the most important message and you're capable of receiving it from him, it would also make sense that you'd be capable of receiving whatever words it is he wants you to say to people. So I just would say this is actually really, really relieving that no, no, the gift is, the, and Jesus is the greatest gift, but the guide of that gift is actually actually the Spirit, and the Spirit comes and teaches and guides you. So if you've called Jesus the Lord, what you could really take in terms of some real you know, comfort and is that Jesus and His Spirit will provide you whatever words you need in whatever moment you need them. And so that's where I really challenge you to go, okay, there's two things to think about. One, do you really believe Jesus is Lord? Because the Spirit's wooing you. Do you believe He's Lord? Like, I mean, I mean, like, Really, do you believe he's Lord? Like he really is God the Son. He really did pay for your sins. You have to, you can't can no longer beat yourself up for it because Jesus was already beaten up for it. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? If you believe that, okay, now the Holy Spirit is with you, and then you got to go. Well, what does the Holy Spirit want me to say? Does He want me to declare Jesus the Lord out, uh, uh, you know, out loud? 
through baptism? Does he want me to do that? Does he want me to lead a small group? Does he want me to go reach out to someone I hurt and repent and apologize and tell him I'm so sorry? Like, what does he want you to do? Because it certainly seems like the Holy Spirit didn't just do this one thing this one time for you to get to know the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, don't worry, you'll get this, and he will be with you through the end of the ages, right? So that means this Spirit now, once you get it, stays with you in this covering, and if that's the case, yeah. it does make sense that we gotta go and go, Lord, what is it you want us to do? What is it you want us to say, and to whom do you want us to say it to? So it does yeah. really put us in a spot in this where we get to wrestle through all that stuff yeah. Yeah. as a result of this message. And yeah. Felt rushed on the time, but did want us to really consider as I abide and as I remain, what is it that the Holy Spirit is saying to me, and what does he want me to say to others? Yeah. Um, I, looking at the time, that's pretty much all the time that we have. Was there any other final thoughts that you had, or was that kind of a good note to end on? No, I think it's just that. Let me just yeah. read it to you again. From the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour, what you ought to say. That word hour means at a certain specific time, yeah. right? So it's a, an appointed hour. And so I just I would implore you to consider that there is an hour like that available, uh, appointed to you today. Maybe yeah. it's just over dinner with your kids. Maybe it's a phone call to your parents. Maybe it's a, a, a statement with your boss. But there is a, there's a moment that the Holy Spirit wants to speak through you. And I just would say, this isn't the same thing as blasting the Holy Spirit. But please, please, please don't quench what the Spirit wants to do in your life, in your family, in our community. And so may you have the courage to actually hear from God yeah. and then do what he says. Yeah. Well, that is pretty much the time that we have. So I want to thank everybody that has joined us live. So um, Marilyn, Tom, Mags, Peggy, uh, I think I saw LK and Nancy here as well. So thanks everybody for joining us live. For those of you that are watching or listening to the podcast later, really hope that you were challenged and encouraged by this. Again, feel free to submit any questions that you have over time at clcfamily.church or you can simply text us 610-869-2140. We hope that you have a blessed week and we hope to see you over the weekend and next week for another episode of Overtime. So thanks everyone.